0: Hey there, Kelly here. Guests on the show share so many great ideas, but how do you start putting them into practice? Well, that's exactly what you'll explore when you sign up for the podcast weekly newsletter. Each week, you'll get three ideas from past guests sent straight to your inbox. You'll explore materials, techniques, tools, concepts, and mindsets in bite-sized pieces so that you can think about them and fold them into your own practice. It's completely free and you get it by signing up at learntopaintpodcast.com slash newsletter.
1: I try as much as possible, and this is just a challenge, to keep my mind out of it while I'm painting. I try to let things happen and I try to to never think about the final result because I find that I get to a final result far
0: quicker if I'm not trying to get to one. Hello and welcome to the Learn to Paint podcast, the show that gives you artistic tools you can put to work. I'm your host, Kelly Ann Powers. And in today's artist interview, I'm pulling an episode from the archive. I'm talking with painter Louise Fletcher. In the conversation, you'll learn the difference between working fast and being rushed, how to move between working intuitively and analytically, and why you always want to follow your own joy. Plus a whole lot more. Podcast Art Club, this episode comes with a great extended cut bonus, where we move from mindset into more technical pieces. You'll discover a new reason why you might want to reach for a limited palette, some advice on composition, and a few pointers on how to critique your own work. Get access to this and over 25 additional extended cut bonuses by signing up at any tier at patreon.com slash learn to paint podcast. For show notes and to sign up for the newsletter, head to learn to paintpodcast.com slash podcast slash episode forty-eight. All right, here we go. Hi Louise, welcome to the podcast. How did you get started in art? Hi Kelly, thank you so much for having me. I
1: have always drew and painted when I was a child, always loved it but gave up for many many years like many people, went and got a career, got married, had a different life, moved countries, went and lived in America for many years from the UK and then came back here when I was Fifty, so eight years ago and at that point the minute I returned home to England I just had to paint again and it, all my passion came back the passion I'd had as a young person and I, that's when I started so eight years ago I began to start drawing and painting the landscape and from then it's just been a journey
0: what did that process look like? And at what point in there did it turn from something that you enjoyed casually to something you said, this is important to me, I'm going to really give myself to this?
1: Yeah, very interesting, because I see people now, my students, I see going through the same process. So the way I began, when I got back into it was black and white, representational drawing of the landscape and it was black and white because I was scared of color and it was ink because I was scared of paint and then I got a bit braver and began to use watercolors and I thought they'd be easy haha I didn't realize that watercolors are hard I thought that would be easy And the whole process was, seems to me now looking back of it, one of becoming more and more myself, putting more and more of me into my art. And those early efforts seem very constrained and tight to me now. Not that there's anything wrong with representational landscape drawing, but I see now that's not what I was really about. It's just the only way in I had. And so it's a slow unfolding as I got braver as I found teachers who helped me understand things that were possible. And that was just a few people, but they opened doors in my mind. And it all came to a head in 2018. I took an online course, a 12-week online course with Nicholas Wilton called Creative Visionary Programme, CVP for anyone who knows it, and Oh my goodness, transformed my life, changed my life, made everything seem possible. It's an amazing course, if you're in the right place for it. And I obviously was just at that right moment to receive everything. So I took that in February 2018. And by October 2018, I had decided that I was going to make a business in art, that I was going to do this and not what I had been doing, which was running a completely separate business of my own, which had nothing to do with art. So it was five years until I got to that point, I suppose, but it was one catapulting experience that changed everything.
0: It's one of the amazing things and complex things about this world is that there really are moments when you are ready for something. And for you, looking back at that class, what about, was it a mindset Was it a technical, like what were those pieces that were the right moment for you? It
1: was a couple of things, I think, both mindset and piece and and technical. So the first thing was, I think in week three or week four, we were told to just play with paint with no objective to do anything else. And that had not occurred to me. That sounds crazy after five years. But just playing without any objective of making something hadn't occurred to me. And I made a little painting on wood that I kept for years. I just painted over it this year and it felt like me. I looked at it and I felt myself in it. And that was an amazing feeling. It was completely abstract. It wasn't very good, but it just felt like me. So there was that piece of it. And the other piece of it was the course covered some very simple principles that many people would have learned at art school But I had never had that education. So the importance of value contrast, for example, in improving a painting. Oh, my goodness, I immediately ran out and changed a bunch of old paintings. And finally, it was the way that he taught colour, which is now very similar to the way I approach teaching it to other people. No colour theory, no science, no colour wheel, nothing that makes my head bleed. I just can't do it all just very intuitive but opened up a world of colour and now colour is my favourite thing and you know I love to use colour to make my paintings sing I thought I couldn't do it eight years ago So it was a blend of the two things, but I do think it's the course is fantastic, but I think it's more to do with where you are and if you've had enough practice and if you're ready at the moment that that teacher comes along to absorb what they're showing. Sometimes you're a little bit too early on in the journey to be able to really take it on board, I think.
0: For your process, could you walk us through your process?
1: Yeah, absolutely. As it is now, and I'll say that it changes constantly, caveat. So by the time this goes out, it might be completely different. But it's always basically a layering process. So my work has become increasingly abstract. Until last year, it was always based on landscape, but becoming more and more abstracted. And I would say this year, it's starting to leave landscape and I'm not quite sure where it's going to. But the process has always been that I do not begin with an idea of what I'm aiming for. I don't begin with a colour palette in mind necessarily or with a composition. Sometimes I begin with a general concept. So I spent two years working on a series of paintings based on a UK poet named Ted Hughes for a book that I published. That series of paintings had an initial concept I want to interpret this poetry, but that's as specific as I get. Then I might read the poem. I might think about the poems. Then I'll paint. And it's an intuitive process by which I mean I try as much as possible. And this is just a challenge to keep my mind out of it while I'm painting. I try to let things happen and I try to, to never think about the final result because I find that I get to a final result far quicker if I'm not trying to get to one. And what will happen is I'll be layering paint. I often layer in collage and then I sand. I do a lot of sanding with an orbital sander, removing paper and paint to create textures and then adding over top and then sanding and then adding. And at some point, something in the painting will just say yes this is the direction I want to go in and if I'm lucky I catch that moment and know and follow it And when I'm not paying attention, I might bulldoze past that moment and then I'll have to keep going and going. I always say to people, though, that you've never ruined a painting. There's no such thing as ruined it. You just haven't finished it yet. So I will keep going, keep going. I will send it all back if I need to and just pursue it until the point where it shows me what it wants to be. And this sounds a bit woo woo, but I really think paintings want to come out of you and you just have to get out of the way and that's the constant challenge that I have. But there's lots of paint, mixed media, lots of tools, furniture scrapers, sanders, rubbing alcohol to remove paint. It's a process of addition and subtraction and addition and eventually we get to a result.
0: Do you have a focal point or do you work to create a focal point in
1: your work? No,
0: generally several.
1: So I will have more than one focal point in the painting. My goal with the painting, I want it to be an immersive, emotional experience. So I want you to travel around the painting. I want you to look at all of it. And I want some quiet areas as well as some lively areas. But I still want something there for you to look at. So I will have generally maybe three to five focal points, always an uneven number. And I will use either tonal contrast or colour saturation to draw your attention to those areas. And this is partly what makes composition such a challenge in the way I work, is that certain things emerge as I'm working that become really important to the painting and that I want you to look at. So I want to guide your eye to that part because it's lovely or because it's significant or somehow. So therefore, then I have to balance the bits I want you to look at. They have to, you know, all work compositionally. But that's generally how I do it. So I am very conscious of using light and dark and and saturated color to move you around, but not just to one place.
0: And then how willing do you have to be to let something you love go?
1: Totally a hundred percent. You have to be willing. That's another huge thing that we all struggle with. And I still do it now where I'm painting around a little bit of texture that's lovely and I really don't want to lose it or a colour that came through some sanding. And I just did it this morning. I had to I'd collaged on something that looked great and then I had to cover it all up because it didn't work for the composition. I'm quicker now. It used to take me weeks to get rid of something I loved. Now I just get rid of it because I know it's going to feel so much better when I do and I'm going to have forgotten it. And I have this experience, I don't know if you've had this, but you take a picture of something that you absolutely loved but it wasn't quite working but you loved, loved, loved the textures or something in it. You carry on working on it, you lose it altogether, it becomes something different. And in your mind, that thing that you lost is amazing. Oh, I had that beautiful thing and I covered it up. But if you go back to that photograph and look at it again, you can see that it wasn't working. It was You were attached to something, but it was never going to work. So again, it's experience of just knowing, in the end, this will get somewhere better. And also experience to know... What we don't know at the beginning is that we have infinite beautiful things in us. We can make infinite numbers of amazing things. So we don't have to hang on to that little bit. We can take a picture of it if we want to keep it forever and then just cover it up.
0: One of the challenges with mixed media and abstraction is that there are so many places you can go because you're not looking at a tree and trying to represent that tree to some level of realism, but you're still looking at a tree and saying, that's my goal. For you, how have you figured out how to know where to head to decide what not to do and then also what to do?
1: I always base it on what I love, what I really feel good doing, because I've come to believe that when we do what feels good, it's like life, when we do what feels good, it's aligned with who we are And what we should be doing. If we ever get a bad feeling, a negative emotion, it usually means that we're not on the right track for us somehow. We've got off track. And it's the same with painting, I think. So if I find myself fiddling, getting tense, getting tight, or making moves and using colors that I'm doing because I've seen someone else do them or because I think that's what you should do, that's when things go off the rails. And so always following the I call it the joy, and that doesn't mean happy, happy, dance, dance all the time. It means that inner sense of I'm doing the right thing for me. And what I see so many beginning artists do is to ignore that. So they will say... I really love to splash yellow and blue paint around. That's my favourite thing to do. But that's not what proper artists do. Real artists do this thing. So I'm going to go and do that thing. Or I really love to only work in black and white. But I know that to be a serious artist, I have to use colour. So I'm going to go use colour. Or, you know, I want to paint representationally, but I've somehow got it in my head that Serious galleries want abstract art, so I'm going to do abstract. Everybody comes to this with a set of beliefs about what artists do, and I did too, what real artists have. I thought an art education, for example, you have to have gone to art school or you can't be an artist. And when you bring those beliefs to it, you ignore your own inner guidance system. So you go off the rails and art isn't fun and you procrastinate and you can't make yourself do it and you struggle. It's always a struggle. But when you follow the things that just feel good to you, regardless of if you think they're valid in someone else's eyes, you know what to do next always. And so my next move on a painting is always dictated by what's already there and what would feel good to me to do. And I don't always get this right. I often do things that don't feel good. But if I follow those two things, react to what's there do something different to what's already there because contrast I believe is the key principle of abstract painting just making contrasts in colour in tone in shape in size in line anytime you can put something different against something else you'll create excitement too much of that and it'll be too much but how I judge it so you asked how do I know like when it's done or when to it's because do I love it? Do I love it? And this is a challenge for me at the moment because my work is going in a slightly different direction and some of it feels a bit, I love it, but do I think anyone else will? You know, I can have this little, Ooh, I love it, but it's very rough and ready. Perhaps this will look like child's play to anybody else. And I always have to go back to yeah, but I love it, and I love it is everyone will know this feeling when you've done something and you like it so much that you have to. If you have a studio near home or in your house, you come back in late at night to have a look at what you did because you're excited about it, or you even bring it into the house and put it in front of you so you can see it, or you take a photo on your phone and look at it later, and you get this little feeling of like, oh, I made that. That's the feeling that I'm looking for.
0: Well, then for you, how do you bridge the following what you love and letting that guide you, but then also working toward a series? Because I imagine that potentially if you follow everything you love, everything can go like one painting may lead you in this direction, but this other painting may lead you in this other direction, but you do create bodies of work. So how do those two things interact? I think
1: it's usually because I'm focused on something at the time, even if it's not conscious. So when I did the paintings about the poetry, that was conscious, I had a goal. My current work I wasn't conscious when I started making it of what it was about. I just knew I felt like using these colours and these marks and then I've come to realise what it's about because this often happens. It's something in me that wants to come out but I just have to figure it out as I go and then I suddenly step back and go oh yeah of course that completely fits with what's happening in my life at the moment of course that's why I'm doing this. And so the paintings will be cohesive because they are expressing something that's current in me and an example of this is a couple of years ago I made a series called Patternicity and it was 16 small paintings that I made all at the same time and I was very drawn to using stencils which I've never used in my work and contrasting the stencils with very loose organic brush marks and using collage very clearly rather than as a background really bringing it forward and Mm the words and I thought what is this about I'm doing why am I doing this and I loved them they looked great but I couldn't figure it out and then it became clear to me it, it wasn't actually two years ago it was like 18 months ago and it was the beginning of the lockdown here in the UK when pandemic hit and we were all completely locked down and I realized that It was about the patterns of our life that were being disrupted and everything had changed. So we did have structure and pattern and all of a sudden we had none. And these big brush marks and these big dark marks, that was the pandemic and the change that was happening. And they were really all expressing the same thing. So they all kind of hang together. And the other thing is that really helps is that I always work in a limited palette. So generally my paintings will hang together colour-wise at any given time because I'll be working with the same colours. I'll mix a lot of colours out of a few, but they all harmonise and will look as though they belong. But if I get something that's an outlier, I don't worry about it too much. I just go with it and... If it doesn't really seem to fit, it might be the, the beginning of the next series. It might be a bit ahead of its time and I might have to save it and, you know, it'll lead me somewhere else.
0: When you're looking at a painting, what is leading you, Like, what questions are you asking yourself looking at this painting, trying to figure out the next thing you add or take away from it?
1: Generally, it's a question of differences, contrast. This will generally be what it is. I don't ask myself questions if it's going well. If it's going well, I keep working intuitively. But when it gets, becomes a mess, when it just goes off the rails, when I don't like what's happening, then I do step back, obviously, sit down, have a think, what's happening, what am I doing wrong? So, I'll ask myself about four main area well, three main areas that I'll really concentrate on, which is composition, tone, and color. and I find that the most issues with the painting are with either tone or composition, and they're they're kind of together because dark and light will create a composition, but for the sake of this, I'm separating them out so. I will look and I will say, do I have like too many of the same shape going on? Is it just too repetitive? Are things generally too predictable? So when you look at the painting, are you seeing all the same shapes and sizes? Is that what the problem is? So it's boring. Are the colours not contrasty enough for what I'm trying to communicate? So if I'm trying to communicate with those Ted Hughes paintings, some of it was very dark windy, windswept, rainy moorlands. I don't want lots of bright color and strong tonal contrast in those. I want those to feel darker. But if I'm trying to do something at the moment, my paintings are about joy in a dark time and happiness and finding a good feeling, then I've got one at the moment on the wall, which the colors are too muddy. So how can it feel joyous and happy because the colors are too muddy? So I will look at that and say, yeah, the problem with this one is color. And what can I do with the colour? Do I need to cover it all up and start again? Is it it beyond saving? Or is it just a case of bringing in some contrasting, very saturated, bright colours into a few areas and then will that be enough? So there's a lot of experience because often beginner artists want to have a checklist and i actually do give my students a checklist of questions but really it's much more intuitive than that you don't run through a checklist you really just you step back and based on your past experience you say hmm is this a color problem or a tone problem or a composition problem and then how can i fix it sometimes if i don't know what to do I will always be working on many at once, so at least 10 and more sometimes, so I can be free with them. And if I really don't know what to do, I will actually just get destructive with it. Because this often happens, a painting will drive itself down a cul-de-sac, and it's never going to come out of that cul-de-sac unless you do something. It's nice, but it's not finished. So then I might, I don't know, scribble all over it with oil pastel before I leave, splash the wrong colour all over it, Do something so that when I come back in, I'll be forced to deal with the mess that I've made and I'll be forced to let go of the thing that wasn't working but I was hanging on to.
0: How much of what you're working toward is an emotional goal and how clear are you about what that is? It's
1: always emotional, I think, for me. I think that my favorite painters are the abstract expressionists. I love feeling in painting. Tracy Emin is my current favourite, current artist because of so much emotion. So it's always about emotion, but often I'm not conscious of the emotion I'm expressing. Like, as I said, with the current ones that have just started to come out of me, I knew that I had got myself into a good place mentally recently. I've been doing a lot of work on that and improving mindset and feeling happier. I didn't set out to make some happy paintings. I set out to express myself, as much, get as much of myself into the painting. You know, I really admire Jackson Pollock, not just for the paintings, but for the idea of the whole body the action painting, the whole body going into the, onto the canvas so that when you stand in front of one of his paintings, or certainly when I do, I feel the energy coming off it. It's, it's embedded in there. I'm not putting myself in the same category, but I would love that when people stand in front of one of my paintings, they feel some of that emotion, whether it's a happy emotion or a dark emotion or somewhere in between, but they get that sense of it. That's what makes me happiest. If I get that feedback from someone, and it often happens when they get an original painting and they'll write and say, oh, I saw it online and it was good, but now I've seen it in person. I feel so much emotion. Then I know I've I've done it. I've achieved what I wanted to achieve.
0: We've been talking about the intuitive way of working, but I also hear you talking about analysis. So how do you switch back and forth between the intuitive way of working and then the truly left brain analysis work?
1: That is always a challenge. And when I first started doing this, that was really tough. And the way I liken it to learning to drive, when you first learn to drive, you have to think about every single thing you do. And it's very clunky. And then eventually, you just drive to work and don't even notice anything on the way there. And it's the same with this. So when I first used to do it, i get really caught up. The thinking part would trip me up because as soon as I started thinking, things seemed to go off the rails. And that's very personal to your personality type. I'm very intuitive led in my life anyway. So I prefer to work that way in my paintings. And if I think in my life too much, I get tangled up and things go wrong, I have to let my intuition guide the way. But you do have to think in painting. So how I've come to understand works for me is I can't think while I have a paintbrush in my hand. I have to paint, and then I have to step back and think. And when I've made a decision about what needs to happen, I have to go do it without thinking again. So an example would be if I decide, if I have a really lovely loose abstract which is something i'm always aiming for and it feels really full of life and energy but i've decided it needs a dark in the top right hand corner to balance it i can't go and be very careful with that and try and do it just right i have to think right i'm gonna mix the dark get it and then i'm gonna go for it with gusto and risk making a complete mess of everything Because if I don't, I'll lose that initial energy that was in it. So it's very much thinking over here, painting over here. And whenever I let the two get muddled up, that's when I get into trouble.
0: Do you think it's important generally to separate those two? See, I say yes,
1: but I think everyone's different. And... I really think that you have to paint in the way that suits you. Some people navigate through their life very effectively through logic and thought and planning. And those people, I admire them. I, I can't do that. I have to follow intuitive nudges And any time in my life that I've tried to think my way out of a problem, I've gone down a hole and not been able to get out of it again. So I think it comes down to knowing yourself and knowing what works for you. And it's very important to learn that rather than what someone else tells you. So I'm always wary when I'm teaching my courses that I tell people what works for me, but I don't want them to think they have to go do what I do. Personally. I think that it works best to paint and think separately, but what do I know? You know, it might work best for someone else to do them together.
0: When learning to paint intuitively, you know, follow what you love, but then there can be so much just frustration in learning. How did you navigate what was a technical frustration versus maybe I'm headed in the wrong direction frustration?
1: That's interesting because, I've had this conversation with other people and I try very much to get my students to to drop frustration altogether because I don't generally feel it about painting. Even when things are not going well, I don't feel frustrated and I've brought it down to the fact that I am never focused on the result. I am always focused on the process. That's what interests me and in the questions I can ask myself. So if I run into something like, I want to work with opacity and transparency, but it's not working. For me then, oh good, because now I've got a few months of something to explore. I can figure this out. I just have to get all my paints out. I have to do some experiments. I have to get lots of pieces of paper. I have to try all sorts of things. And in the process, I will discover some really interesting things the frustration i see with my students is that belief that i still haven't made a painting that i love i want to make a painting i want to get something beautiful and really the joy of this is not in making the painting that's beautiful that is a a little like i said a little exciting feeling when you look at it and you think i made that but it's gone soon enough you've moved on somebody either buys it or they don't, and you have moved on to something else. So, while ever you stay focused on the process and on exploring and learning, you stay happy and not frustrated. Soon as you think about the results you get frustrated somebody asked me a question on my course the other day about how do I paint like this person they they get such lovely translucent layers and glazing and how do they do that and my honest answer was first I have no idea because I am not in their studio and I don't do that kind of painting second answer was yes it's beautiful but really would you want that person to sit down and show you how they did that and then you know and then you can copy them and do that. Or is it better to get a ton of cheap paper and all your paints out and sit there and figure out glazing for yourself and try one color over another and then this one over this one. And and in the process, you will come to a different way of using glazes than that person. It will be unique to you. It will be something nobody's seen before in quite the same way, which means your paintings will sell and you will be proud of it because you discovered it. So that's a long way of saying that when I have those questions, how is someone achieving that? To me, that's it's like a science experiment. It's like a challenge now. okay, I'm going to go figure that out. And it's the figuring out for me that's the fun part, and the making paintings is the byproduct that comes out almost as a, as an accident and a nice accident. I love making paintings, but I I like to make them and sell them and move on because I'm always looking for the
0: next thing. It sounds like for you, part of and if and you have a great YouTube channel, recommend people go look at it. That there's some videos there showing you working, and you seem to work relatively fast. But listening to you talk, there's the difference between working fast, but you are not rushed. No. There is no, and I feel like that that is a distinction that maybe I hadn't made before.
1: That's interesting because people will say, oh, you work so fast. And I say, yeah, but sometimes it takes me months to make a painting. <laughs> like I put paint on fast. Sometimes perhaps too fast. Perhaps if I was a little slower, I wouldn't have to take so long to make the painting. I have no idea, but it's the only way I know how to do it. I don't know how to carefully and slowly apply paint. It doesn't seem to be what I do. And again, I go back to self-acceptance. I think we have to accept who we are. I may greatly admire someone who can paint a beautiful still life That seems to glow and is so realistically rendered but I know that will never be me because I just don't have the patience or the interest so I just can admire that but accept myself that I'm yes so I am fast in the way I apply paint but I'm super patient in how long it takes a painting to be done I don't rush it some things I have had paintings be done in a few days, you know, a couple of sessions. That's quite rare. But most things, because I work on a lot at once, the whole series will take anything from three months to the Ted Hughes series was nearly two years. And I'm okay with that. You know, I'm in no hurry because the joy of it for me is the process. And that's why, slightly getting off tangent, but I always set up that I would be teaching because I never wanted to be the pressure to be on me to produce paintings in order to pay the bills, because I know it wouldn't make me happy. And teaching really makes me happy. So that can pay the bills. And this can be extra paying the bills, but there's no pressure. If it takes me two years to make a series of paintings, I'm okay, because I'm not going, oh, how am I going to pay the rent this month or anything?
0: This is a little bit of um, switching gears, but What's the biggest challenge you see your students facing? I think it's it's mindset and that's what
1: I, that's what my courses are about. So a lot of courses are about this is how to paint. This is and we do do some of that, how to get great colors, how to how to create a composition. We do some of that. But before we get to that, I'm very much focused on mindset. And the biggest challenge my students have is trust in themselves is trusting their intuition and their instincts. So my students tend to be women, although I do get male students, it tends to be women and they tend to be my age or older. And what that means, so I'm 58, that generation and older, women often did not assert themselves express themselves put themselves first ever they may have spent an entire life raising a family and then helping with grandkids and they've not put themselves first and at some point in some cases we've had people in their 90s at some point people say I am going to do something for myself they try to paint but they're not used to when you say to them just play with paint they go I don't know how to do that. Or when you say, do what you love, they say, I don't know what I love. I've never, no one's ever asked me what I love. And that is both really sad and really exciting because when they start asking themselves, what do I love? What do I think? Then they start blossoming. And in their life, as well as in their painting, it's remarkable what happens when people start expressing themselves. So I'd say that biggest challenge is that, just letting go of any idea of what someone else does is the right thing and trusting that you what you want to do is the right thing. And of course, you need to learn things like colour and composition and all of that, which we do get to. But I spend the first, I'd say the first six weeks saying you are not trying to make a painting and it doesn't matter what it looks like, because I just want to get them to realise that you can fling paint. Or you can make something ugly and the sky doesn't fall in and it doesn't matter. And once you get to that point, you are then ready to start layering over the knowledge of colour and composition and all of that, which I think most classes begin with. And that ties people in knots when they're trying to get it right. So trying to get it
0: right is the biggest challenge. So do you think that learning what you love is a muscle you can build?
1: Yes, Yes, because I've seen people do it over and over again and being really specific with it. So people will say, well, I love flowers, so I want to paint flowers because people come to my courses who paint realistically or abstract. I I don't care. I don't make any distinction. So if you really love flowers and you want to paint flowers, I really make you dig down into what do you mean by that? Like there are lots of reasons to love flowers and you have to find out what yours is. And also what is it about flowers specifically? A common one people will say is trees. I love trees. I want to paint the experience of trees. Well, what is it about trees? Is it the sound of the leaves? Is it the light coming through the leaves? Is it a feeling of grandeur that you get from trees? Is it, Is it a sense you get, like I do, that they're all talking to one another and you're just nothing and they're all very, you know, like gods standing above you? Is it childhood memories of going on holiday in a forest somewhere? What is it? Because when you really understand what you're trying to express and what it is that you love, then you make unique paintings about trees that other people respond to because they see something in it that they've never seen before. But too often people will just say, well, if you, if I have to say what I love, I love nature. It's like, well, what kind of nature? There's a lot of different kinds of nature. What is it you love about nature? One of the things I have people do, and people can do this at home, starting now, I have people start noticing. Notice when you're out on a walk, what you stop and take photographs of often artists are the people who stop on walks and everyone else is like oh what are you looking at now and you're like you look at that color of that flower against that wall and they're like i don't see anything so what do you notice what grabs your attention when you look at artists what artist do you love why why do you love that painting what is it about it and i have people keep an art journal where they just stick pictures in and write notes and say yeah, I love money because I love the colour of the water lily paintings in particular, and it's this green against this. Or I love Jackson Pollock, as I said, because I love the feeling of energy and action in that. So what does that mean for me then? It must mean something for me if that appeals to me. So noticing more and more and more and picking like if I had to choose, I would pick that artist over that one. I would pick that colour over that one. I would just practice knowing what you like. And when you start doing that, you start doing it in life too. And then people around you can get a bit annoyed because suddenly you assert yourself and say, actually, I don't like chilli and we're not having that for dinner anymore. We're going to have, you know, whatever I like to eat. But it's, it is a muscle and it does take practice for people who have never done that before.
0: There's one thing to say, I love something, sort of in the safety of your studio and not even putting down paint. But then there's a different, it almost feels like a separate step to say, I love it and therefore it is valid.
1: Yes, which is the big thing because people will say, there's a perfect example. I had a student who said she was, I said to everybody to set an intention and then make a series of work about that intention. And she spent a few weeks doing something. And then she said, I just don't love my intention. What I really want to paint is I want to do paintings about dragonflies and I want to use gold leaf paper and glitter. But I know that real artists don't use glitter or gold leaf. So I've held myself back. But now I'm going to use glitter and I'm going to use gold leaf and I'm going to do what I want to do. And I was like, yes, because what she had initially told herself is the serious art world. Or the people on this course or the teacher of this course won't approve of me if I'm using glitter or gold leaf. And so you're discounting your own preferences. And what you have to practice is noticing and then allowing them to be. Because just because you've seen bad paintings that have glitter on them, I do not believe it's, it's not possible to make amazing art using glitter. I'm sure it is. You just have to trust yourself. And trust your own preferences. And that is it. You've got it in a nutshell. What people do is they dismiss that. They say, I like this, but I know that's not valid. So I'm going to like this artist because I know everyone respects that. And then you're just lying to yourself. It's okay to take the most respected, famous, wonderful artist and say i do not like that and i would not put that on my wall if you paid me it's okay to do that
0: the things we're talking about it can sound like it's as easy as like a switch on or off but it's not
1: no no it's not it takes practice and it and i always say to people it takes a while to understand that your studio or wherever you work if your kitchen table is your studio if that's where you work but your studio is the place where literally no one gets to have a say and this is the scary thing right it's the one place where we can do whatever we want and no one can tell us what to do and there is no other part of certainly of my life where that's the case maybe you know not always tell us what to do but have an opinion so if I want to change something in the garden, then my husband's going to have an opinion. Or if I want, you know, if I want to get a new sofa, we're going to have to discuss that. Or if I want to go out for dinner with a friend, that's going to be up to us both where we go. But this is the one time where I get to literally say I can do anything. I can use any colour, make any style of art, use any substrate. I can play around in sketchbooks or I can start a big canvas. I can do anything I want. And that is terrifying at first, because there are no rules and no boundaries. And that's why I find it very helpful to do things like set myself a limited palette or set myself a concept like the the poetry paintings, something that puts a parameter around what I'm doing. Otherwise, it's boundless. And I could just, you know, I could just be playing forever.
0: How long did it take you to get comfortable with a thing that I imagine for most of us is pretty uncomfortable.
1: That's interesting because I don't think of it as uncomfortable, although I believe that it must be because I see it with people. I don't think of it as uncomfortable. I think of it as incredibly freeing and fun to think anything is possible, but it wasn't. So I'm thinking back. It didn't always feel that anything was possible. It always felt to me, as I say at the beginning, constrained by rules and what other people were doing and real artists do this but they don't do that and and my work's not working out the way I want I know there's more inside me but I can't get it out it was that release of realizing that if I just played and experimented and tried things I would make discoveries that would lead me to making interesting paintings once I discovered that Then all I wanted to do was make those discoveries and going back to this thing about the result because I'm not focused on the result. Really, I have many, many days and it's happened over the last few days where when I'm painting, nothing's really working because it's I'm following intuition and I'm following what I love And I get excited. And so I might start muddying the colours because I can't be bothered washing my brushes and stopping. Or I might not be making smart, intuitive decisions. I'm just doing things. And everything's getting a bit muddy and uninteresting. But those days, and I know this is weird because I've talked to other artists, so I know I'm weird, but I don't find them particularly frustrating. I just observe and think, oh, I see what's happening And I'll try tomorrow when I come back, I'll try and shift maybe, I'll mix up some clean colours, I'll make sure I've got clean brushes, I'll try and do something, again, that's different from what's there. So if it's all muddy and it's all messy, I'll try and do something different from that, see what happens. So if you're going to work this way, you have to be comfortable with ambiguity, uncertainty, with not knowing where it's going. But I think the way you get there is experience of it keeping leading somewhere good so I now know that yes that painting looks a mess really a mess and everyone would agree there's you know there's no redeemable feature in it at the moment but I know it'll end up somewhere good in the end There might be quicker ways to get there than I get there, but I know it will get there at some point. And so I no longer worry. And at the beginning, I might have worried more about that. I think what happens is new painters will have a problem like that and they'll think the problem has happened because they're new and not because that's what happens. So they'll say, oh, I had a terrible painting day today and everything went wrong. I thought I was getting this. I thought I was making progress, but now I'm not. And then I say, I had a terrible painting day today and I'm the teacher. I'm supposed to be the one who knows. That's normal. There is nobody who doesn't have a terrible painting day. There is nobody who doesn't show up and make everything worse and then go home again. That's just part of it. So as a beginner, once you realize, oh, that's normal, it's not me. It's not because I'm new. It's because that's just what happens. Then you can relax a bit. And I tell people that I read a story about Monet he was on holiday in, I think, Norway, and some passersby found him in the street stamping on his canvases and, and swearing. <laughs> they were his water lily canvases, and his exhibition ended up being delayed by, I think, two years because he couldn't do the paintings. And he was angry, and apparently he was horrible to live with. He was frustrated. If Monet needs to jump on his
0: canvases, we can have a bad day. So if someone came to you and said, I want to get really good at painting, what advice do you give them?
1: You have to do it. I'd say you have to forget about making good paintings for a while. You have to realize you won't make good paintings if you're going to do this properly. You might once in a while by accident, but you're going to have to practice. And so give yourself time to fail. Give yourself permission to fail. And follow what you enjoy, because then you will go back and do it over and over again. This is why my course is called Find Your Joy, because when you find what lights you up, when you find what is exciting to do, you won't procrastinate about doing it. You'll go do it. And the more you do, the better you get. That's just the way it works. It's not easy to do. You have to practice. If you choose something to do that isn't fun, you will try and avoid doing it. So if somebody says to you, I'm going to make you your favorite food, the food you love more than anything else, and then they bring it to you, you don't say, I can't really be bothered eating that food. I've got other things to do. I think I'm going to do the ironing and then I'm going to do the washing and then I'm going to do some books and then I'm going to go for a walk because you love that. You have to make painting feel like eating your favorite food then you will want to get in there and do it any chance you get, and then you will get better. And this is why it's so, so important to follow what you love, because it will make you a better painter, as well as making you a unique painter.
0: We covered a lot. We're at time. We covered a lot. Is there anything you feel like we didn't talk about that you wished we would have?
1: No, I don't think so. I think we've we've really got into the mindset, which to me is... Everything. It's everything in um, freeing up, in painting how you want to paint and making beautiful work. And the thing, maybe I haven't said clearly enough that I just want to say is that when we paint this way, when we do what we love and trust ourselves, the paintings sell better. This is the part that people find hard to believe. Often I'm asked, but I want to sell my work, so I have to make what other people want. Other people want something different than they've ever seen before, something slightly different than they've ever experienced. That's what we want in life in general. When you go to an art show and you walk around and everything looks the same and then you find one stand where things are different and exciting, that's where you stop and look. That's what we're looking for. And when you start to express yourself in your own unique way and you do have a unique way, everybody does, Some other people will love it. Lots of people won't, but some will. And the ones that do will, instead of just saying that's lovely, which they will say to all sorts of artwork, they will say, that's lovely. Can I buy it? And that's the point when the magic happens and you are actually doing what you love and making a living doing it.
0: You can find more out about Louise Fletcher at her website, www.louisefletcherart.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And we'll connect to everything, including her fantastic podcast with Alice Sheridan called Art Juice in the show notes. Thank you so much for being with us today, Louise.
1: I've just, I've had an absolutely great time. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for joining me this week on the podcast. For show notes, head to learntopaintpodcast.com slash podcast slash episode 48. But before you go, click like and subscribe on your listening app. And if you've got a few more moments to spare, leave a review of the show. This helps other artists find the podcast and it makes a big difference. Speaking of big, big differences, thank you to everyone who has joined the Podcast Art Club. You make this show possible. And I'm excited to get started on the 20 for 20 with you May 1st. An extra shiny thank you to High Gloss supporters Andrew Atterberry, Debbie and Brian Miller, Rihanna DeRold, Janet Wheeler, Nancy Bryant, Catherine Ordway, Pam Lyle, and Kirk Keefe. Happy painting!